Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from Detroit. And in the immortal words of Will, are we really a podcast? Are we really a celebrity podcast if we don't shit on Justin Bieber? <laughs> of course, the answer is no. Uh, so we are going to talk. Uh, today in in today's special episode about the downward trajectory of Justin Bieber's career. So you all know that for a long time, Justin Bieber was running high, riding high, whatever you want to say. <clears throat> um. His CDs and his singles topped the charts, and he was inescapable. Uh, Teen girls loved him, and he loved them right back. Of course, during the height of his popularity, rumors flowed that he got some of the girls pregnant, uh, that he... um, was sleeping with um, men and women, which is actually true. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but yes, Justin Bieber does sleep with men and women. Uh, um, in the tw- at the twenty nineteen Met Gala, uh, Haley Haley Bieber, uh, back then she was known as Haley Baldwin, went to the event. Without him, which pissed Anna Wintour off, by the way. Uh, and we talked about this on the podcast uh, before. Uh, Haley went by herself, even though Justin was the one who was invited. <clears throat> Justin was back at his hotel room hooking up with a guy. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> so, but when you're pissing off powerful people, you are bound to hit a rough patch in your career. And Justin's has finally come. Now, his last CD didn't really do all that well. It didn't bomb, per se. uh, But it didn't set the charts on fire. (laughs) Which led to... His team wanting uh, a quick rebrand. Part of that rebrand had already been happening with him attending Hillsong Church uh, and getting married to uh, Haley. Um, Now... Justin struggles with marrying Haley because he doesn't love her. Or at least he didn't love her. Um, Depending on um, reports, some will say that he had feelings for uh, someone else altogether. And some will say that he had feelings for Selena Gomez. His former hookup partner and... Hillsong Church pastor Carl Lentz convinced him that it didn't matter 
if he married Haley but didn't love her, as long as he was giving the 10% to Hillsong Church. And eventually Justin agreed. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, they really seem to have some sort of feelings for one another or something of that sort. I do believe that they're friends. Um, All of my sources have indicated that there's at least some... There's at least some... um, feelings there. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to know, um, per mine and Will's agreement here, we are not outing Justin Bieber. He outed himself. Um, he has called himself bisexual quite a few times over the years. Um, so I just wanted to make that very clear. We, we are not outing him. Um, we, we are following our guidelines. He has said, um, he has said in interviews uh, that he's bi. Uh, and he's definitely gay-baited. So, um, with that out of the way, um, <laughs> with his pop songs not really hitting the heights that they once were, his team decided to rebrand him as a gospel singer. Um, that's why we've seen a lot of, uh, God talk from him. That's why we've seen him hanging out with, uh, Kanye West a lot. Uh, because they really wanted to repackage him as the next big gospel singer. Thing is, it bombed. The, the general trajectory is gospel singer, pop star. Look at Amy Grant. Um, I think she's probably the best example of this. Um, She crossed over from gospel into pop and then went back to gospel. Um, uh, There's... There there have been a few... um, Former Destiny's Child uh, member Michelle Williams did did make the cross um, from uh, pop to gospel. I think it was I think it was Michelle Williams and Kelly Rowland is still R and B. I might have those two mixed up. <laughs> I I don't follow Destiny's Child as closely as I should, but anyways, one of the Destiny's Child members did do that. I'm pretty sure it's Michelle Williams. Anyways. Uh, but all three of the Destiny Child members that we know, Beyonce, Michelle, and Kelly, all sing in the church choir first uh, before becoming uh, singers on their own. So... With Bieber, he had, he was really disappointed that the gospel singer thing didn't work out, but his record label wasn't ready to give up on him yet. So, they had him 
do a collaboration with K-pop group BTS. Now, BTS was having a moment in the sun. You know, their their singles were uh, everywhere. And it seemed to be the perfect union. But the single failed to do anything significant on the charts. <coughs> um, and... Um, the single is actually dragging BTS and uh, Bieber down. Now, Scooter Braun, who we know as the evil guy from the Taylor Swift saga that we covered in uh, 2018 and 2019, uh, and even up until 2020, manages, manages Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber. And he is actively encouraging Justin to reach out and, and do a uh, duet with her. Selena is saying no. Uh, at first, it was much to the chagrin of the record label because they figured, hey, this would be fire. You, It would take us to the top of the charts and whatever. And so they tried to, they, they really did try to force Selena to do it. She kept resisting and saying no, she didn't feel right. Uh, you know, and all it would do is reignite the Selena versus Haley Baldwin or I'm sorry Haley Bieber um fan fights and she has no interest in being part of this triangle any longer when the BTS single failed to ignite on the Billboard hot charts <coughs> The record label actually said to Selena, hey, yeah, you were right. Uh, we don't need to do it. Um, Scooter's still trying. Uh, but there's very little he can do. Um, and in fact, uh, Selena has been in the process of leaving uh, his management company Uh, Ever since the Taylor Swift saga went down. Because, as you all know, uh, Taylor Swift and Selena Gomez were besties for a very long time. (coughs) Um, And while rumor is they fell out, uh, I'm hearing that uh, Taylor and Selena have sat and talked and made up. And part of the reason why they fell out was Justin Bieber. And neither one of them want to be associated with him. So, we've dunked on Justin Bieber's failing career. Uh, we're, we're likely not going to see a big comeback from him. Um, I, I spoke with my LA source, uh, and he did predict uh, if we do see uh, a, Justin Bieber, a Justin Bieber renaissance, it won't be until uh, further on down the road. Um, likely, and again, this is only what he's predicting, likely in 2020, 
to late 2022 or early 2023, um, we might start to see um, some movement towards uh, Justin getting into the type of music uh, that made him a star. However, in all likelihood, <clears throat> the next hit single for Bieber, if there is one, won't happen until 2024. Uh, and it'll be uh, much like Cher or Madonna, um, a one-off. It won't lead to a string of hits. <clears throat> but you know what will lead to a string of hits? That's a horrible segue. <laughs> will is coming up next with a very special Politalk. Hey folks, producer Will here. Today I've got a special episode of Politalk for you, one focused on a subject that everybody, read nobody, was asking for. One that is of great interest to our regular listeners and staff. Read me. I'm speaking about the election for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention, which occurred last week and what that election means for the broader struggle within the nation's largest Protestant denomination. A little bit of background before we get started. The Southern Baptist Convention, or SBC as it's more colloquially known, has had a reputation since the late 70s of being a highly conservative denomination, one that's aligned heavily with the Republican Party and regularly provides support to that party and turns out votes for them. They've more than earned that, to many, grim reputation. Church officials have long been in lockstep with the culturally conservative wing of the Republican Party, and have downright dictated the social priorities for a number of Republican administrations. Like a number of classically Republican institutions, however, during the Trump era they took a really sharp turn rightward. And many of the SBC's leadership began to echo Trump's combative rhetoric and racist and sexist attitudes. Black Southern Baptist pastor Dwight McKissick, a former trustee of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, reported that racism within the organization became much more overt after Trump's election, and that there seemed to be a growing antipathy towards women, especially women in positions of leadership, within the highest levels of the church. Other pastors of color and women within the church have reported similar experiences. Perhaps most famously, Beth Moore, the SBC's most prominent female evangelist and a religious leader of national fame, who publicly left the organization several months ago. After facing censure for her opposition to Donald Trump, facing backlash for her attempts to speak out about sex abuse scandals within the church, and being branded a heretic by some conservative members of the denomination for giving one of her Bible lessons during a service. SBC leadership have publicly been much less vitriolic than they've been in private, but their actions seem to have had the same intent and effect. During the Black Lives Matter protests that occurred last summer after the murder of George Floyd, the SBC's leadership put out an official statement denouncing critical race theory, an academic framework used by some legal scholars to identify systemic racism, 
as counter to biblical and American values. The timing of the message, as well as its content, sparked furious debates within the church, especially from pastors and lay people of color. Because the vast majority of black pastors within the SBC didn't endorse or use critical race theory, most of them viewed the church's attack on it as an attempt to distract from structural issues within the SBC. A number of prominent leaders, including McKissick, announced their intention to leave the church, much like Beth Moore did, if the SBC continued its rightward tilt. The odds weren't looking good for them going into the election. Of the three candidates for the convention's presidency, two, Albert Moeller and Mike Stone, were spearheading the push against CRT, and both have denounced it as anti-biblical, and even, in Stone's case, a weapon of division. The third candidate, a famously soft-spoken pastor named Ed Litton, argued that the leadership's focus on critical race theory was just an attempt to avoid talking about the structural issues within the SBC that need to change. But he was perceived as a dark horse candidate going into the election last week, given the general tilt of the SBC over the past four years. However, when all the votes were counted, Lytton beat out both his rivals and won the presidency with 52% of the vote. In other words, unlike what happened in the 1970s, the major forces looking to push the convention rightward have been stymied, at least for now. So what does this mean in the long run, both for Southern Baptists and anybody who isn't a Southern Baptist, which is probably a lot of you guys considering the kind of content I put out? It's hard to say at this point. It's unlikely that Lytton is going to be the transformative presence a number of SBC evangelicals were hoping that he would be. While he is moderate by the SBC's recent standards, that makes him very much still a mainstream conservative. And the SBC's slavish adherence to cultural conservatism, a flaw they share with a lot of other churches in this country, to be fair, has been the chief driver of people in general and young people in particular's disillusion with the church. Lytton's rhetoric has signaled a return to the legitimate, if clumsy, attempt by SBC leaders prior to the Trump era to examine the role that racism and structural racism in particular have played in their church's history, and to undo it as much as it's possible to do so. But given how far out of touch with the rest of the country the church has become and how much the church has sacrificed to ensure its position within the Republican Party, and how much that sacrifice has cost its standing in the eyes of many, myself included, it may be too little too late. If you'll allow me to diverge into something personal for a moment, that may not be a bad thing. The church, over the last few decades, has traded away a lot of its traditional mission in order to get political power. Most of the large conservative denominations in the U.S., the ones who tout themselves as really being for biblical values, don't, for example support policies that would alleviate poverty to any significant extent, or, to give a more recent example, stand up for the rights of refugees. The silence of conservative churches during the Trump era was deafening on that front. Some time in the wilderness could help, I think, 
Many of the church leaders reflect on the decisions they made that got them to this point, rather than simply blaming it on a new generation's failings. But those are just my personal thoughts. Thank you all for tuning in. And, as always, cheers. Cheers.